And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Monday, July 31st. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris on this episode. We recap a busy weekend in trades. I think it was after we signed up on Friday that the Dodgers added a starting pitcher with Lance Lynn. A lot more happened in the days since then, so we'll break it all down from a fantasy perspective. Got a few mailbag questions to squeeze in at the end of the episode as well. But, you know, let's just go for it right off the jump. Max Scherzer is now a member of the Texas Rangers, and because the Mets are the Mets under Steve Cohen, it was an unusual deal in that they're eating a lot of money, which will actually save them money, as Ken Rosenthal wrote about for The Athletic. Uh, Luis Angel Acuna was the player going back to the Mets as part of the deal, which really is the result of their willingness to eat money. But more importantly... Max Scherzer, year two with the Mets, was not going nearly as well as year one. There was a clear need in Texas to upgrade that rotation once Jacob deGrom went down. We've talked about how injury tolerant they were building that group of starters. So what should we expect from Max Scherzer with the move to Texas over these final two plus months? Yeah, I wrote it up for The Athletic, and one of the things that I noticed was that, you know, his stuff is down on his fastball. He's got a nine-year low in fastball velo, uh, career low in fastball spin, you know, uh, the slider velo's down, you know, just basically uh, the kind of stuff that stuff captures it, and it's, you know, it's all down a little bit. The thing that I also noticed, though, is he has five pitches that are near average or better. Uh, by Stuff Plus. He's always been a guy that's outperformed to Stuff Plus a little bit with his moxie or his pitchability. Uh, pitchability Plus. Uh, moxie Plus through the charts. And, um, you know, uh, he's still, by our projections, a top 15 uh, guy. By most projections, still a really like a, 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 an upper half number one. I don't know if I can use the A word anymore. That's the, he's right on the cusp between like, is he an ace or is he a, you know, top 15 pitcher? Uh, everyone's got their own definition of ace and uh, I don't want to really want to wade in those waters, but I would say that he is the Rangers ace now. And uh, I think it was a good deal. Acuna, I don't think has the batted ball strength to be a star. Uh, so I see him a little bit more like their father, Ronald Acuna Sr., who never really hit uh, for a lot of power. And maybe Acuna, uh, Luis Angel Acuna, uh, can outdo his father because he has a little bit more defensive value than his father did. His father was an outfielder that just stole a lot of bases and didn't really hit for enough power to be a major league outfielder. I think Acuna may have some trouble, uh, you know, becoming a star, like I said, but. Uh, people have mentioned Ozzy Albies as a possible outcome. Um, I think Albies had a little bit more power than him in the minors, though. I want to check that real quick. What do you think of Luis Angel? 
I like the the comp to Albies. I, I think Albies just barely predated the quality of contact numbers in the minor leagues that we like to look at right now. I wonder, given how young Albies was for every level he played at, which has been the case for Acuna as well, but Albies is even younger, I would guess we would have been a little underwhelmed by some of those numbers as well. Because the in-game power wasn't really there. I mean, Albies in 2016... Spent time at double A AA and triple A, hit six home runs in 138 games. Like that probably didn't come with great exit velo numbers. But you're right. I think, I think, you know, age is a part of it because, you know, even when he got to the big leagues and we got those numbers that we like, he had, he had bad ones. Like 3% barrel rate in his rookie year, 107 max EV, did not, you know, portend a guy who'd hit 30 homers in the future, right? And Alves didn't even do the 30 homer thing in tw- in the rabbit ball year. He did in 2021. So it's just been growth for Alves, you know, like he's been in the league as long as he's has and he's 26 and he's gone from a 3% barrel rate to a 9% barrel rate. And he's gone from a 107 max EV to a 111 max EV. So, you know, whatever Acuna is doing now, uh, he's 21 and he's holding his own in, in, in double a, actually a 121 WRC plus is really translates to like a 150 given his age. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good prospect. And uh, he, he plays a premium position, and he may end up uh, just being the shortstop if they have to move Lindor over. It's not obvious to me they have to move Lindor over yet, but, you know, Brandon Crawford is like the, the only really recent shortstop that played shortstop past 33. So it may just turn out that Acuna is the heir to shortstop in New York. Lindor turns 30 in November, so yeah, even if that isn't a move that happens next season, it might not be that far down the road. And, and remember, he is signed through 2031, so at some point during that contract, Lindor will no longer be a shortstop. And the best defensive alignment for the Mets uh, does not really include McNeil at second, I don't think. So if Acuna comes up and, and takes second uh, from McNeil, that's a possibility too. I don't really know what to make of, of Jeff McNeil as and a player future. anymore. <laughs> and his future. Yeah, where does he go? Unusual story. A guy that picked up baseball late and then you're the rabbit ball, popped the 23 home runs, has not come close to that level of home run output in the time since, but puts a ton of balls in play. The, the funny thing about Jeff McNeil is that he has to do one more thing to be fantasy relevant and he's not going to start stealing bases at age 32 next year, right? So I wonder if Jeff McNeil ends up being more of a, a utility guy on the 2024 Mets and, and less of a everyday sort of player, right? He's pacing out for 600 plate appearances this year. I would project the under on that if I had to just guess today based on what the roster is likely to become between now and next season. Yeah, and there's a little bit of uh, a platoon risk. This year, he's been really, really poor against lefties. For his career, he's been above average, uh, but that includes all his good years, and he's he's much below where he is against righties. So a little bit of platoon risk there for Jeff McNeil. And then the defensive numbers, you know, the Fangraphs ones are decent, but my eye test does not go with that. What are the outs above average on him? Because Fangraphs has him as above average, but I, I haven't. I haven't thought that when I've watched him. Here we go. Yeah, okay. It still still likes him. So, you know, uh, at least a couple more years at second base. I think he's the primary uh, guy at second base again next year, but I do think uh, that uh, the, some of the weakness against lefties, maybe he drops in the order against lefties, maybe they have someone else that comes in and plays against lefties. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I guess once Acuna is ready, then they can revisit McNeil's situation, and that could be by this time next year potentially. I mean, like it could be. That's pretty how quick. Acuna could break in. Is is mm-hmm. you know the defensive replacement everywhere and uh, starts against lefties, and you know, so it could. If if there is a story where Acuna breaks in uh, to the big leagues next year, that's that's basically his first taste. I bet. Circling back to, to Scherzer for a moment. If you were in the position of the GMs that have acquired pitching so far and you had your choice of Scherzer versus Giolito for the rest of the season, I think based on where you said you've got Scherzer projected the rest of the way, he would be the preference, right? He is the guy that you trust more the rest of the way of those two? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, we talked about the Angels' schedule being really difficult too. We'll get to a few trades that they made. I guess the one worrisome thing about uh, about Max Scherzer has been the shape of uh, his home run issue this year. Uh, he has allowed four home runs in 41 and a third at home and 19 home runs in 66 and a third on the road. Yeah, this is the worst home run rate we've ever seen from Max Scherzer in the big leagues by a pretty healthy margin. And when you consider how pitcher-friendly City Field is and how much that split yeah. is playing into this, that would be one pretty major concern for him. We've seen this ballpark, this new ballpark in Arlington now for a few years. So I guess we have to look at that and say, how much how much of a park downgrade is it at home for Scherzer making half of his starts in Arlington now? Yeah, I mean, the three-year factors, uh, which have they been playing there for three years, Globe Life? Yes, they have. One oh eight. I think they opened in twenty twenty, if I remember correctly. It's it's fine overall. A one hundred one park factor that uh, overall puts them, you know, twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth in there somewhere. Uh, but by home run park factor, it has a one hundred eight, and that puts them in the back end of the top ten. And just to put that up against the Mets, uh, the Mets have a 94 home run park factor in 19th. And I bet you if I put the three-year rolling off, it's more aggressive than that. Let me see here. The Mets, where are they? Why don't I see that? Oh, uh, three-year rolling pack factor. Oh, it actually has a, as a, as a place that's giving up home runs this year. Uh, but I trust the three year better, better. And, you know, so he's going from, uh, basically 19th to 10th. So yeah, more home run risk. What's really interesting too, when you look at some of the results on individual pitches for Scherzer, he throws that cutter almost exclusively to lefties. That's getting fantastic results. It's so, it's so surprising that the damage is mostly coming on four seamers and sliders. Yeah. He throws his slider. 17.5% 17.5% of the time, he doesn't throw it to lefties. Nine home runs allowed on the slider so far this year. So that pitch has been a problem for him when he misses with it. Yeah, uh, but you... you. This is something I talked to Clark Schmidt about in my piece that published Friday. Is like, you know, some of what Clark Schmidt has done to get better has been to throw pitches you wouldn't necessarily normally throw to lefties. He's been throwing more sinkers and more sweepers to lefties this year. Uh, a little bit as the season has gone on. And he said, I know that the numbers say I shouldn't do that, but if I don't do that, then I'm just cutter curve uh, against uh, lefties, and then I'm predictable. 
Um, and I don't know that my cutter is so good that it can escape that. So you might think, you know, why is Scherzer throwing these, uh, you know, the slider to lefties? And that's interesting also is that Brooks says he's not throwing his slider to lefties this year. Says he's throwing his curve to lefties. I wonder which one is the one that you're saying is getting beat up. No, the slider, he's not throwing to lefties at all. The curve, is, he is throwing to lefties. Oh, 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 I thought you were saying the slider is getting beat up by lefties. No, no, I, I think it's weird that he's only throwing that slider to righties oh, and even yeah. throwing it just to same-handed hitters. It's been a big-time problem pitch for the long ball. Yeah, yeah, and I wonder, I mean, I have to say it, the spin has something to do with this, you know? It's not, you know, I don't think that he's been uh, egregious this year, and this is funny because this is year he's been popped for, for spin stuff. I think it's more like if you look over the history of his career, there's years where he through he had a lot more spin you know what i mean and uh so i think that has affected his breaking ball and his forcing the most and lefties i'm looking just at lefties right now lefties hitting 322 489 with a 167 iso and four homers off that four seam they have three three homers off the curve and i think if the slider was any better he could throw the slider sometimes to lefties just to keep them from identifying the curve really quickly and knowing what it was you know what i mean yeah, I think this is pretty interesting because it actually connects to a mailbag question we received recently. So I'm going to mix that in right here. The question is around how effective velocity impacts different pitches. This question came from Tim. Tim writes, I think a prime example of what I'm getting at is how Eno is always telling righties to stop throwing sweepers to lefties. I was thinking about why sweepers would be so much worse, and I have a theory that it's because when a righty throws a sweeper to a lefty, the sweeper is actually breaking in and picking up effective velocity, which takes away the element of the hitter being out in front. When I think about this more generally, I think it makes sense. So any non-fastball that is picking up effective velocity, breaking it on the hitter or thrown to a higher part of the zone will perform much worse than if it was somewhere on the EV scale of neutral to losing velocity. That seems in line with high inside off speed getting hammered. More generally, what do you think the value is in knowing why something works or doesn't work as opposed to just knowing whether it works, right? By results, we know, we can look at pitch numbers and say, oh, this, is, don't, this pitch is a bad idea. How, ex how important is it to understand the reasoning why something does not work well or why something does work well? Yeah, you know, one one thing that's weird is that we haven't been able to really nail down effective velocity. I know that there are some real proponents of it, and and they have their research that has shown it, but I've also seen other research that almost, I, I'm afraid to use the word here, but debunks it. And so, uh, but at the same time, it, I wouldn't say that I believe that effective velocity doesn't exist. Because the way I understand it is it's about your eyes and about how you are perceiving pitches and especially how you are perceiving pitches against each other. Um, and so I just think that, you know, when a righty's throwing a sweeper to a lefty, the lefty can see that pitch forever. You know what I mean? It's just a pitch that, you know, is coming along the outside and, and breaking towards them and is not fast. It's 85, you know? So in, in terms of raw velocity. So I think they can just see that pitch forever. I do think it's really important to know why that, uh, that isn't a good pitch because if you know that it's because they can see it forever, then you throw more backdoor sweepers, right? Front door, back, back door, 
You throw more backdoor sweepers, right? Because you take advantage of the fact that they can see it forever. And you throw this front door uh, sweeper and you say, that's going to look like a ball for you forever, right? And I'm going to take the fact that you don't want to swing at this uh, and use it against you. If that's why you don't like, why lefties can hit sweepers because they can see them forever, then I'm going to throw you a backdoor one that you can't see coming. Uh, or that you can't see, you don't think it's going to be a slider, a, a strike. So I'm going to, I'm going to take advantage of that's why you don't like it. If it's because it then looks so different than other pitches, if it, if lefties can spot sweepers because they can spot the release point better, then it has to be, can I throw my sweeper with a different release point? Can I, can I modify that? Or can I throw another pitch from the same release point as my sweeper that does something different? You know what I mean? Um, so I think it's really important to know why something doesn't work. And, uh, you know, there are a few reasons in terms of how the pitch looks for the first, you know, 10 feet of trajectory, how the, what the release point looks like, what your mechanics look like, and then how the pitch looks like over its whole trajectory. And all those things kind of come together to, 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 so, so maybe for Clark Schmidt, just throwing the sweeper, sometimes backdooring it, sometimes keeping in the back of the, their heads, um, you know, I, I think that, uh, that just gives, you know, him a chance to, to give them another look. Maybe it, maybe it pairs well with the sinker, a sinker, sinker sweeper is the, is the sinker slider that we, you know, used to know and love in the eighties or whatever. Um, so maybe it's just effective enough and enough to just you know, make batters have to think about something else. You know, that's another aspect of, of pitch mix. Yeah, and we had a pitch mix specific question as well from Henry, so we might as well get this in right now too. Uh, Henry writes, I'm not speaking directly about rates and barrels, but I feel like there's a lot of general talk in baseball about pitchers adjusting their pitch mix, improving for a stretch, and then being deemed fixed. Excluding changes to the individual pitchers themselves, like their movement profile, I'm hesitant to believe that simply scrapping a pitch to increase the usage in your arsenal of another really changes your long-term true ability going forward. I can see how it drastically improves short-term results, mm -hmm. but isn't that still the same true talent pitcher? Perhaps it's exactly. a maximization of skills, but I'm struggling to believe that will lead to major improvements. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Is that not a perfect uh, transition to the next picture we need to talk about? Pretty much, yeah. So, Lance Lynn. I was reading this to, uh, to you before the, this cast started. Lance Lynn, new Dodger, uh, has this line against righties. It might surprise you. 208, 284, 368. He's been whooping righties this year, so you know what's coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lefties this year have hit Lance Lynn 338, 401, 636. Lefties I mean, have a That's like six... an MVP season for <laughs> yeah, every lefty. That's like a show A line, dude. Oh my God, it's so bad. Um, so... You know, why did the Dodgers acquire him? Well, you can actually see that Lance Lynn has been changing uh, his pitch mix in the last uh, few games. Uh, It's led to more strikeouts and fewer walks and yet a high ERA because they're still slugging him. Um, And what he's done is he's uh, thrown more cutters, fewer four seams, uh, and more curves uh, against lefties. And that makes sense because the curve against lefties has a 250 batting average with 350 slugging so far. He's thrown 55 of them all year, it says on Brooks. Uh, the four seam has a 38804 slugging against lefties. But so I think two things are about to happen. You know, the Dodgers are going to get a lot of credit for something that Lynn was already doing. Maybe they exaggerate a little bit even more and 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 maybe throw even more curves um, and even fewer four seams. And, and the changeup has a 520 batting average against lefties. Like, maybe they turf that changeup. And they're like, you are cutter curve. And I want to see a lot of curves. And I want to see you use the four seam as more of a surprise pitch. And that's what uh, this question, I think, is getting at, is there is a relationship with how much you know, teams see a pitch and how much they prepare for it, how much they think about it, what they try to look for um, you know, when they're in the A-B. And so you know, there are players out there with bad four seams, pitchers out there with bad four seams that sneak them by, use them just enough, use them in two-strike counts, you know, use them way above the zone and never in the zone. Um, and get something out of their four seams despite a poor uh, stuff plus or poor shape on it. But it does, I think, in the long term, make me think, well, you're still a bad four seam guy. You know, Kyle Bradish is, is like this a little bit. You know, I don't know. Maybe he's pushed that four seam far enough to where it's usable. But, you know, Bradish is, is playing the hide a four seam game. Right, he's he's like, mm-hmm. oh, curve, cutter, curve, cutter. There's a little bit of four seam, you know. It's like, then uh, that's you know that can work in stretches, but you know, what do you think of him long term is still an open question. And I think what's going to happen with Lynn is he's going to have a better stretch uh, against lefties with the Dodgers. And also, what did you say his his schedule was? Oh, his schedule is great. So his Dodgers debut comes at home against Oakland. It's a two-start week this week. His second turn comes at San Diego. And the next week, he gets the Rockies back at Dodger Stadium. So two out of those three are layups at home. Yeah. And I don't know. Like, you know, Lynn, um, his cutter does register as above average by stuff plus. But he's throwing it so much now that, yes, against lefties, has a 3-4-7-6-9-4 slugging. Even the cutter, the one we're telling him to throw more of, is, is being beat. 
So uh, I think there is a real problem here, which is that his stuff has, especially on the four seam, has just dropped to the point where he's looking for weapons against lefties. And I think in a short stretch, he can, you know, do things that people don't expect, like throw 33% curves against lefties, you know, <laughs> where they're just like, what the hell? This is Lance Lynn again, right? You know, the guy who throws like eight different fastballs and never throws a secondaries, right? And so yeah, he can surprise I mean, people, a, but in the long run, will he be any different than what you think of as an older Lance Lynn should be? You go back like 10 years, and that's when he was throwing his curveball a little more. He was throwing it 10% of the time back in 2013. He threw it 17.9% of the time back in 2012 and 22.2% of the time all the way back in 2011. But it's been a very long time since he's thrown that pitch, even 10% of the time. So yeah. that would be a pretty big change the question sort of drives back to the wouldn't there be diminishing returns on that because as you exactly. alluded to earlier the scouting report changes you start to see it and say okay we're looking for this now this combination this situation here's what he's going to do that's different than before so it works for three starts or six starts I, I, it's hard to even know what is the shelf life of each adjustment how <laughs> each adjustment might even be different based on the quality of the other pitches so you throwing a curveball 30% of the time to lefties versus Lynn doing it might be different than some other pitcher doing it. So yeah. there's there's all that where you have to you have to look at the rest of the package and, and still kind of adjust based on that, not just on one significant change. Yeah. And you know, even you know, our standard peripherals that we use, Sierra, K minus BB, like, you know, some of these other models, like they say he's fine. 391 Sierra, 27 minus eight, you know, strikeouts minus walks. Like they say he's fine and he should be better going forward. But those numbers uh, are don't see the granularity of like, he has a real problem against lefties, right? Mm -hmm. Sierra doesn't know that. Sierra just sees the strikeouts and the walks and the ground balls or whatever. Um, so uh, I would say that, you know, at 36 years old, you know, we're going to see a bounce for Lynn, and it may be of the unsavory uh, pet variety. <laughs> unsavory pet variety. I don't want to, you know, that's a, just a gruesome term, really. <laughs> yeah, it is. There's a chance that Lance Lynn is just glue to get them through the rest of the regular season, and then yeah, by the time the playoffs, playoffs roll around... Or they hide him or at least don't use him as a starter because they're relying so heavily on Bobby Miller and Sheehan right now. You know, Urias has been banged up at times this year. Kershaw's hurt right now. So it's more just how do we manage the next two months? And then you know, it doesn't really matter what happens to Lance Lynn so much in October, as long as the rest of the rotation is healthy enough and fresh enough to take those starts. Yeah. I think you're going in a playoff series, you're going Kershaw, Urias, and you know Miller? got enough inner innings on Miller. Yeah, Miller. Yeah, I think those are your first three. And Lynn as a righty, fourth coming in. Uh, you know, in the fourth inning, if Urias is is shaky or whatever, like that that that's actually an interesting combo. Yeah, you could throw him. Well, you could throw him behind either one of Kershaw or Urias, right? Kershaw gets hurt, leaves a game early. Yeah. Urias gets hurt, leaves a game early, or struggling. Throw him in that way, make him your long guy in the in the postseason. And the Dodgers have been linked to Justin Verlander, which sort of drives us back to the the Scherzer part of this conversation too. Verlander hasn't looked like typical Verlander. Not a surprise. He's forty years old, 
The K's are down, the walks are up, rest of season projection from the bats, like a 388 ERA and a 115 whip, which is fine. That's more like a Giolito projection, maybe even a tick better in both of those ratios. Are you buying Verlander right now as being at least as impactful as Scherzer or possibly more impactful than Scherzer? The results have been better than the underlying numbers say they should be to this point. Is there a tweak that Verlander could make to become more effective the rest of the way, be that staying with the Mets or going somewhere else. Yeah, I don't know why his uh, strikeout rate isn't quite there. Um, he his his fastball has also lost uh, stuff and stuff plus, and is is slightly below average now. The four seam, uh, but overall he's uh, kept more uh, uh, stuff than than Max Scherzer, and I, I do think he has one last uh, one last. That sounds sort of. Uh, gruesome but i think he has another trick in his in his in his pocket which is he's throwing a slider 27 percent of the time he's thrown it as much as 38 percent of the time so i think he could throw more sliders and uh and get more uh get more whiffs i do know that you know sliders are being hit harder harder this year and that's part of why he's you know i i think it's part of why he's throwing other pitches he's definitely someone who keeps up on trends like that um, and so he's throwing more fastballs in counts that he used to throw sliders, but, uh, just overall, uh, I think the stuff is there to, you know, maybe do some change-ups and, 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 you know, do some of these short-term alterations that can get better results. But generally I still believe in him as an ace. And, uh, I think I, you know, if I knew they were both healthy, I'd have him a little bit ahead of Max Scherzer. Um, and I do think it would be a, a good move for the Dodgers. What I just don't know uh, for the Mets is um, I, I think Matt Scherzer has been the only real surprise so far uh, in this trade deadline uh, because I thought they would keep you know a lot of their uh, their team together, the New York Mets would, and you know try to be competitive again next year. And you know Scherzer is the first guy that really had years of team control. Am I right? Yeah, mostly rentals otherwise. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, so what does that mean? Does that mean, you know, everything's open or does that mean that was our one way of saving like sort of $40 million and that's the $40 million we're going to try and throw at Otani, you know? And, you know, if we are going to try and get Otani next year, we better have Verlander and Senga at the top of our rotation because then you can say to him, no, we've still got a great team. And Verlander, Senga, Otani is still a great one, two, three. And uh, we kept the rest of the team together. You know what I mean? Uh, if you trade Verlander, then you're like, come to our team. We've got Kodai Senga. Yeah, it, it's not <laughs> It's not an easy I, I sell. Like I mean, Senga. it's not an easy sell. I, I realize that they'll still have Lindor. They'll still have Francisco I Alvarez. sign Alonso, too. Beatty, Alonzo, like they've got a good core group of hitters. But if you don't have enough in the rotation, if you're chasing pitching, I, I think the the trap the Mets could run into is they could just be like a more expensive version of the Angels. We've yeah. talked on the three O show about the similarities between the franchises. That's interesting. It's, the difference is. I believe that Steve Cohen will do all the things Artie Moreno has always failed to do as far as building a robust farm system, right? Spending on scouting and tech and all that stuff. Hiring, yes. That's, that's going to happen. 
that's going to happen. So I think the hardest part about getting Shohei Otani to go to the Mets is it's not in place yet. They're not quite there yet. So you have mm. to be you have to be compelling enough in the not so distant future to entice him to go there because if he wants to win and he's got a few other offers if if it's if Dodgers, Dodgers versus Mets versus Yankees that's kind of an easy choice if you're trying to win right now and you don't want to wait a year or two or three for all the pieces to come together unless the Mets can spend their way out of it next offseason which they unfortunately for them could not do this offseason so I don't know I think there is a pretty good chance that Verlander gets moved too because I think seeing Scherzer go he's kind of having these thoughts of how good are we really going to be next year and I think that's things a like fair that question publicly. to ask yeah, yeah, yeah there, there's a piece I, with Tim Britton, where, you know, where he's thinking about his future publicly. If if you're 40, how many more seasons do you realistically have? He, he seems like he wants to pitch forever. Verlander does, but, but I don't there's know. a there's a there's a pressure, more pressure on winning right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't uh, I don't know. Um, I, and the other thing that's uh, slightly interesting is that the Dodgers. Uh, you know, when I was doing the pay, I was doing the uh, trade me Shoyotani game for effectively wild. Um, one of the things that I didn't talk about because I was keeping it for a follow-up phone call if I was going to get one um, is that the Dodgers right now are at two fifty-one million for the luxury tax. The next apron is two fifty-three. The penalties do get increasingly sharp. And I think the difference between 233 and 253 is something like, it's like a 25% tax on the two, uh, 233 people, and then it's like a 60% tax on the 253 people, and a 60% tax when you go over? I don't know. So the other hand is, uh, right now, without arbitration salaries, they only have $99 million, uh on the team next year. They lose as free agents... Clayton Kershaw. Well, that's is that a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, they lose. You replace him with Otani. It doesn't make that much of a difference. Yeah, it matters because he's still good. But I think you just say Otani wants you to sign Kershaw. Everybody, yeah, your probably. entire fan base wants you to sign Kershaw. So I, I think Kershaw has the standing offer for a one-year deal with exactly. the Dodgers until he decides he's done pitching. I think it's to almost like Texas a or three, else. three and sixty that he is probably on the offer on the table at all times. So uh, I would give him another. I'd, I'd put that twenty million back on. Uh, Enrique Hernandez is gone. I don't think they're they're not giving him ten million. JD Martinez is gone. That's a he's been a useful player for them. Uh, David Peralta is gone. Shelby Miller, Jimmy Nelson, Julio Urias is a free agent. Um, so their rotation next year is Bobby Miller led Tony Gonsolin and Bobby Miller at the top. Right. I think that's where everybody says they're going to get Shohei. It's going to happen. He's going to the Dodgers. He's not going to the Mets. And you know, just thinking about the luxury tax and they probably at 98 million can sign Clayton Kershaw can pay for all their arbitration can sign another starter and Stein Shohei and get and just be back up to like 230 you know they're in like actually okay financial state I think they may have to go up one more go one more tier in the tax I, I think so to make all the pieces fit well that's a, it's I mean 60% tax on on that on that stuff is is that's you know that's a fair amount of, of coin 
So it wasn't just Max Scherzer added by the Rangers. They also picked up Jordan Montgomery and Chris Stratton for the bullpen in a trade with the Cardinals. So part of the need for Texas's rotation grew with the recent velocity dip of Nathan Evaldi. We've been worried about this with the workload that he was taking on in the first half. And we saw the velo dip last year. We saw it dip earlier this season. It made all the sense in the world to go out and get two starters what do you think about Jordan Montgomery getting moved for the second summer in a row? And, and what are your expectations for him over these final two months? He's he's fine. He's, um, you know, a guy that uh, throws a fair amount of pitches, keeps them, commands them well. No pitch. You know what? Uh, sometimes I I, I, I I see this as, you know, in basketball, uh, when you have five players on the, on the court, if you have... Uh, uh, one of those players cannot play defense. The other team is just going to pick on that one player over and over again. And uh, when I look at Montgomery's core uh, pitches, um, I don't see the one you pick on. You know what I mean? They're all pretty good. None of them is amazing, but they're all pretty good. And he mixes them around. And so I think he's like a 3-4. Um, and, uh, and I... And I it's, it's interesting. He was traded n- away from the Yankees when they were headed for the playoffs. So the Yankees last year, despite a you know a three ERA and and whatever would look like uh, just similar to what he's doing now, decided that he was not a playoff starter. Um, and so that makes him more of a four or five. I think he's performed well again this year, but. How different is he than the guy who the Yankees decided was a was a four or five? I'm not sure he's that different. I think he's maybe a three four. Or he just kept doing it, I guess. I think if you got to the postseason and you're missing one of Evaldi, I guess I might have said elbow before. It's a forearm strain, and he may be back. They called it good at or around good the elbow pain. <laughs> good elbow pain was the description. Yeah, right. That's that's not a thing. Yeah, if. If you're down to Scherzer, John Gray, and then Montgomery's probably there. Like, are, are yeah, you feeling better he, in a be playoff third game? game. You, he'll be a playoff starter for them. Unless he Evaldi should comes be. back. Uh, yeah, he'd be their... I think he's their fourth best starter at best. And I think more likely than not, if Andrew Heaney's healthy, you'd prefer to throw Heaney over him. But the difference would be... Jordan Montgomery versus Martin Perez or Jordan Montgomery versus Dane Dunning, right? You, yeah. If you lack depth, one of those guys was going to have to start. And now I think the, they're in a slightly better spot. We've seen in the longer series, the seven-game series, that even just having a fourth uh, starter that's decent is a bit of, a, a, of an upgrade because you'll be facing teams that might do a bullpen game in the playoffs in the fourth game. You know what I mean? So just having somebody that can go three before you get into that bullpen, that helps in a seven-game series, you know? Yeah, a number, a number four that you actually trust a little bit is is pretty nice to have. Now, between Stratton, the previous trade they made for Araldis Chapman, how much have they upgraded this bullpen so far this season? Like, Is this a an average A bullpen now? I mean, if you assume Will Smith is part of the, the A bullpen too, Smith, Chapman, Stratton... Spores, I know, is someone that has popped in the model for most of the season. How does that really stack up to other playoff caliber rotations? The Rangers might not be done. They don't seem like they're worried about getting to that first threshold of the luxury tax. They're spending like a big market team again, and they're clearly looking at this season 
as a big part of their their window to possibly do some damage in October. Yeah, I like I like the addition of, of Stratton because um, you know I think with Chapman, um, so I really like Spores, um, and then you know Will Smith becomes more of a sort of a crafty lefty in the bullpen as opposed to someone that you you know need to depend on for saves. In fact, I was really worried that you know they might Bochi kind of falls in love with guys like this. You know, the Jeremy is it Jeremy Affelt? Yeah, Jeremy Affelt, lefty out of the pen, right? For him in those in those uh in those uh, championships. You know, I was worried that he might fall in love with him and uh what I've seen is yes, Will Smith still gets saved chances, but so does Chapman. You know, and Sabors despite not being in Bochi's circle of trust earlier in the season has has entered that circle of trust. And once you are in the circle of trust for Bochi, I think he is willing to mix things around. Um, and so I'm not saying necessarily that Stratton will get save chances, but I think he, you know, he may have a week or so to enter that circle of trust. And then once he's in there, they've got four or five good relievers. I might not be surprised if they add another, though. No, I think they are getting at least one more reliever. Yeah. And maybe, maybe one more bat. Because the the platooning they're doing in left field, you can move Duran around a lot, so you can just say upgrade. Seager is our deadline actually. <laughs> yeah, you could do that. I wonder how much that Jonah Heim injury is going to linger. It's at least a couple of weeks. That wrist injury, I think surgery said, is at least a possibility. They said there was probability. It's just that they're gonna in two weeks they're gonna ask him if he can play through pain the rest of the way. So. So they're going to try they, that. They have Garver, you know, that's a downgrade, I think, defensively, but oh, offensively, yeah. it's uh, not too terrible. But it does, playing Garver at catcher more does open up DH a little bit. And I guess right now that, you know, I think that's not a problem when if Seager's coming back soon and then you just play Duran, Grossman, you know, uh, you pretty, probably, pretty, pretty, much, pretty, pretty much play Duran and Grossman and left and DH. Rental you catcher, yes, I think Rondal to the Rangers. There. Is that possible? Yeah, you can have one more, or just a just a DH, and and yeah. and put Garver at catcher most days. Yeah, it is a big defensive downgrade though, because Jonah Heim is a fantastic defender. So we'll see what else the Rangers do between now and the six o'clock Eastern deadline on Tuesday. By the way, we're going to have a live stream on the Athletic Baseball Show's YouTube page. So be sure to check that out. We will go live right when the deadline hits at 6 o'clock, probably going for about an hour or so. Uh, an early week 3-0 show and a live one too, which makes it uh, even more fun. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. 
Jordan Hicks is now a member of the Blue Jays with Jordan Romano down right now with some back inflammation. Hicks could still get a few saves between now and the time Romano returns. I think once Romano is back, Hicks loses a lot of his value in leagues that don't reward holds. Yeah, and I, it's hard to tell what how long Romano is going to be out because they've definitely already sort of MRI'd him right after the All-Star break. They they've checked him up and it was like he he thought he could go and then he couldn't. So I I don't think this will be a long one. It's a 15 day uh, injured list. I think it'll be the 15 days. That's my guess. Um, so you've still got two more weeks of Hicks's closer. I think Romano comes back and takes most of those uh, close those safe opportunities when he comes back. Uh, Hicks is a really good pitcher though. It was a really good move for them. I think uh, pushes everybody down a rung. Uh, when Romano's back, a uh, good replacement for Romano in the short term. Swanson, I love. It gets a, you know, Tim Mize is okay. How much do I love Yimi Garcia and, Tre- and and Trevor Richards and Genesis Cabrera? You know, I don't know. But, you know, with Pearson in there, uh, it's a, it's a still a top-line bullpen. Yeah, you like the Jays' bullpen as constructed better than the Rangers' bullpen right now? Yeah. Yeah, I do. That's where I'm at as well. I think there's just a little more at the top, a little more depth that I trust. If you start getting those fifth and sixth options, I think that's where things can get pretty dicey for the Rangers. But again, they might actually be able to address that here in the next uh, well 30 hours or so. Relevant comparison, too, because if the Rangers had the Astros record, they'd be tied with the Blue Jays for the second wild card. Yeah. And the Astros Those teams back can't seem to get away from each other, can they? Yeah. So the Blue Jays, comparing the Blue Jays and Rangers is, is what they're doing in Texas right now. How about this trade? The Angels brought back two guys that debuted for them years ago, Randall Gritchick and CJ Crone, getting both in a swap with the Rockies. The Angels, I think when we talked about them on the 3-0 show, uh, you highlighted the limited mathematical impact of the first trade, even though they didn't give up a ton in terms of long-term value to add Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez. Uh, Britt thought it was bad, and I said they have to do more. And this is part of doing more. You add Gritchick, you add Crone. Unfortunately, Taylor Ward suffered what could be a season-ending injury over the weekend. He got hit in the face with a pitch. Yeah, straight to the 60-day IL. It looked very scary situation. And, uh, I mean, maybe we'll see him again in late September. Just all the best to him after a really really gruesome injury over the weekend. But the the difficulty of the schedule for the Angels is something that we talked about after that 3-0 show episode. It's legitimately one of the tougher schedules uh, to get through between now and the end of the regular season. But you add two more, two more quality bats to this lineup. Eventually, you get Trout back in the equation. We've talked about that might not be that long. And the problem for this Angels team has frequently been depth. So now they're starting to address that because they've already added these two guys, Crone and Gritchick, after previously going out and getting Eduardo Escobar and Mike Moustakis. So what else did the Angels need? Since they're pushing chips in, there's a reasonable assumption that they're still not done, that there's going to be at least one, maybe two other small trades made before the deadline tomorrow. Where else can they get a significant lift? Hmm. I think, uh, you know, I think maybe another reliever would make sense. It wasn't a great uh, bullpen to begin with. And maybe by getting a reliever that's not a closer, 
they can continue what i like i actually like about these uh these secondary moves they've done they haven't cost much they uh, uh they do not they don't make as a, a huge impact in terms of war and stuff but if you think about their lineup now um i think that you know just putting a representative group of average type players around uh otani and trout makes it a good lineup you know um and so you've got instead of mike moustakis who's projected to have a 399 slugging the rest of the way you've got cj crone with a 456 you know uh at first base and uh you know instead of uh mickey moniak uh who's you know projected to have a 285 obp the rest of the way you have randall gritchuk who matches him in slugging and has a 308 projected obp in left field um and so you know you kind of look at each position they're pretty representative uh at each position now i don't think uh anything really stands out um i don't think i mean grindall there as a rental might make sense you know because the last place where you could really upgrade the offense at least would be uh, at catcher right and that logan ohapi could be back from that labrum which would be nice if he's the guy he was before he got hurt. I think that's a a little bit of a leap coming off of that injury as quickly as he's coming off of it. But yeah, it's another place where I I could see Grandal making some sense. You know, Mickey Moniak is doing it right now, playing at a level that we really haven't seen him reach over a third of a season before, right? This is one of his most successful runs as a pro. It's a 155 WRC plus with a 30% K rate and a 3.4% walk rate. So, 426 Babbitt, dude. I mean, there's, there's, I'm sure that some of getting Richick was betting, you know, was assuring themselves against regression for Moniak. Right. And I think you, you can see it in the splits, even though he's only seen lefties, geez, a couple dozen, three dozen times this season. He's doing it against righties. So making sure he stays a platoon guy. Yeah. (laughs) That's really important to making sure that he can sustain something even. 70% 70% of what he's done so far is still valuable to them. He's the guy went 1-1 in a draft before. It's not it's not like there's no talent there, but there's still there's still flaws he's working through uh, as a, a first-time like prolonged stretch in, in the big leagues is, is playing out here. But there's, the Crone addition's a nice one, and Gritchick is, is solid as kind of your third or fourth outfielder the way he'll be used as part of this rotation. There's some losers here, though, uh, in these trades, I feel like. At least from a fantasy yeah. standpoint, who, who are some of your who are some of the big losers? I think CJ Crone becomes a platoon player when Brandon Drury comes back. I think Brandon Drury uh, lost out a little bit and has become, you know, through the these trades, maybe a versus lefties only guy. Yeah, maybe I think Mustakis could play a little less potentially. Oh, it's almost going to be like, like who's playing a, well. He's yeah. That there's that. That's I think the just the general risk is now they've got options at every place. So and they need to win every game. So they may start making decisions just being like, uh, you know, you're O for your last fifteen. Sorry, dude. You know, and Mike Mustakas is projected so poorly that, um, you know, yeah, I could see him just being uh, keeping the seat warm at, uh, you know, until Rendon is back, and then maybe not even playing at all. Um, <sighs> So. Rendon is just killing me, man. I I just I I thought that was one of the easiest bounce back layup good values of the last few seasons, and it has not been anything close to that. 
How did he get brutal. the bone bruise? Did he get hit? I don't know. It's, uh, it's awful. I think the, so. The batted ball quality has just disappeared. Yeah. Just he still gone. makes contact and, and puts together good uh, good at-bats. But, you know, it reminds me a little bit of Winker where, like, there's still the walk. The BB&K is okay, but the, just the quality of, of, of impact on the ball is gone. And that, that just screams to me injury. But with Rendon, you just, you're not even sure which injury to blame anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. It could be multiples. That could be part of why things are so bad. But yeah. then coming back from multiple injuries that have caused you to fall off this much, I, I can't. Can't continue to back that, unfortunately. But you can't even so. bet on Mike Moustakas and, and against Anthony Rendon because there's still Eduardo Escobar and Brandon Drury. <laughs> this this started to become more of a good problem for the Angels to right. have. I mean, yes, they've put together options at every position, but I think it makes it hard. Like, who do you think starts every game? I think if he's healthy, Neto. And Trout. Neto, and Neto Trout, and Otani, and... Maybe Renfro, they don't, they they can't platoon at every spot. So maybe Renfro's in there every day. Yeah, I think I think you play Renfro every day. I think that's the that's the right approach as well. And in terms of rest of season projected Woba, the best are Otani, Trout, Rendon, Renfro, Crone. Crone is 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 interesting. I guess he could just play every day. It's not my I read, think I'm, maybe. I'm more more worried about Mustakis and Escobar and Renhifo as guys that were playing a lot, especially yeah. once Drury comes back. It gets 100%. a little more crowded. 100%. And, and Adele's window uh, seems closed. And I think Trey Cabbage, who I was looking at maybe picking up in some leagues, uh, I'm glad I didn't. Yeah, Cabbage has the Matt Walner profile with more swing and miss but also some speed so it's pretty intriguing i wonder if they make another deal if cabbage is someone that gets flipped you know if they add in the reliever it's not crazy because trey cabbage is older than people think you yeah know? he's 26 already at 26 so if you're a team that's that not contending here you know like you're not necessarily a, a huge asset for the organization especially with those k rates trey cabbage for trevor may who says no oh well not the a's God, <laughs> Trey Cabbage is so an A. Oh my God, they would love it. They do. They throw in whatever else you want. You want Tony Camp too? <laughs> they don't need any more infielders. Still. <laughs> <You know? laughs> can, can you get two relievers you for want, Trey? You Cabbage? want Paul Blackburn too? For just for Trey Cabbage? I feel nah, like I don't know, but he he just lines up with like guys that the A's love. You know, a little <laughs> bit too old, a little bit too many strikeouts. You know. Let's like, see what happens. Let's try. How many try times it. have they picked that guy up? <laughs> Is there a, a better floor in the Royals infield for anybody with Nicky Lopez getting traded to the Braves? They get Taylor Hearn back. I think Hearn's just a reliever, kind of an extra arm for Kansas City. But I just want to say I I hate that deal so much. I I cannot <laughs> tell you how much I hate that deal. Taylor Hearn was available. He was I think he was DFA. The the Braves bought him with money. You know, and I'm not saying that Nicky Lopez is great, but Nicky Lopez has proven a certain level of production as a position player. <laughs> there's, there's no way I would ever make this trade as a team. I, it's I have no idea wild because of defense. I mean, Nicky Lopez, and he had a good year at the plate too in 2021, even though it comes with no power. Nicky Lopez had a six-war season in 2021. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and I, I don't think you could just give a player like that away. For a reliever? For a team? Like, what? where are the Royals going that they need? Yes. Uh, serenity now. <laughs> um, I know he's I've been, he's been bad this year, but you, you, you'd be better off as a Royals organization with rolling the dice again next year, playing him some at the beginning of the year, Hoping you get some of that, even if it's just Babbitt magic. He had a 347 Babbitt the year the other six war. Get some Babbitt magic, have him look like a league average middle infielder, and wait for a shortstop to get hurt on a playoff team. Bam. Now you're in a better position. You're going to get something better than Taylor Hearn back. Anyway. Yeah. Sorry, uh, Taylor. I, 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 we're not being, I'm not trying to be rude to Taylor Hearn. Um, no, I, I think uh, Michael Massey has been playing better recently, and uh, Michael Garcia. Uh, I think those two are maybe everyday guys now. You yeah, know, safer you, you playing see time how floors. Good, you want to see how good they are the rest of the season. You want to see if they're a starter next season. I think you just start them every day. Yeah, I liked Massey coming into the season. If you look back at what he's done more recently, we are getting a little better production from him going back to. I don't know. If you go back to like mid-May, you could see a guy that has kind of 20-ish home run power. The slash line's still not great, but he doesn't strike out a ton. So still some reasons to believe that he could put it together with a longer runway of playing time in Kansas City. It's been about a full season's worth of plate appearances where he's he's been okay, but not really great. He's really, I mean, he's pushed that bell rate back up. I mean, last year he was a fascinating guy because he had a an average max EV, but uh, uh, an above average barrel rate. Beginning of this season, I saw no barrels, and I said, oh, God, I got this one wrong. He's pushed the max EV up, and he's got a 9.3% barrel rate again. So he actually does have power. Uh, I know a 137 ISO la- this year and a 133 last year doesn't really speak to that. Just some interaction, I think, with the park there. But he, he does not have zero power. Um, yeah. So uh, he is an interesting guy to me. I, I wonder if... You know, there's been, you know, he said something about, you know, I tried to pull uh, a little less and he hit like a bunch of, a couple of homers in a couple of days or something. And, you know, he does pull 54% of the time. So there could be some sort of tweak there that uh, could get a little bit more out of him. One more question here before we go, unless we get some breaking news, but uh, this one came from Brandon. Brandon was wondering if we could take a moment to discuss what's going on with JP Sears. Some games he has strikeout stuff, others it seems to disappear. Wondering what Eno's numbers say about him. Ratios have been decent, and he's been a useful play in quality starts leagues, but still makes me nervous more than he should. So what are your thoughts on Sears now that we've got two-thirds of a season now in the books for him at the big league level in Oakland? It's not a lot of velo uh, ups and downs, so um, I think I think that's a, a good sign. It's not like uh, we're watching him get injured or fatigued or whatever. He's managed to stay ninety three plus uh, most days, uh, so that's not it. What I'd have noticed is um, some oscillation in the vertical movement on his slider. So I I haven't yet talked to him about this, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's trying to throw two sliders. Uh, because he has a bit of a sweeper action. Um, and in some games, uh, he has a lot of sweep. In some games, he does. I don't know if that's atmospheric or mechanical or if he is indeed throwing two sliders. The reason that I would think that he might throw two sliders is he has a fastball. He has a change that's not really good enough to throw against same-handed, same-handed guys. 
So against lefties, he's four-seam change. You don't really want to throw a sweeper to lefties. Against righties, he's four-seam sweeper. You know, you don't really want to throw a, a kind of a, a league average change up to righties, I don't think. So throwing like a gyro slider or a cutter, there's some, there's some flashes of cutter on Brooks, um, I think would be a, a good idea. And I wouldn't be surprised if I talked to him right now if he's like, yes, I'm throwing a gyro slider and a sweeper. And if that's the case, then I would say uh, maybe familiarity with these new two pitches. Uh, some, sometimes he's executing these, uh, both of his sliders and the other team hasn't prepared for them, and then he 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 kind of has a good game. Other teams uh, prepare well for him, and uh, have you know know he's doing this, and uh, maybe he struggles with the execution of, of the new pitch. So, uh, what is he? Where has he done badly? Uh, Houston doing you know knowing that he's throwing two sliders doesn't surprise me. Going into Colorado and throwing a sweeper and a gyro slider and them not being prepared for them wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> so uh, five runs allowed to Houston and one run allowed in Colorado uh, may fit my, the narrative I'm, I'm spinning here. Yeah, the whip's been outstanding overall. The weird thing is the K rate's down a little bit here so far in the second half. I think if you look at the various splits, J.P. Sears has been more effective against righties than lefties. Very odd for a left-handed pitcher to have that, but anything can happen over one season. His ERA is more than a half run lower outside of Oakland. Wouldn't have expected that. Um, he gives up homers everywhere. Actually gives up more homers by home run rate at home. Also kind of strange. So there's some stuff here. That's I think the home run rate speaks to how small his arsenal can get against you know, strong hitters on the left and the right. You know what I mean? Like what I was talking about. So, you know, adding that new pitch could help him uh, stay off the barrel a little bit and, and keep them from keyholing him too much. So um, I'm, I'm excited to talk to him about that. I also just generally think of him very, you know, in a, in a just close your eyes and what do you think of J.P. Sears? I think he's a credible major league starter in a great home park that's not going to get you wins. He's not maybe a huge uh, uh, keeper asset because he's already 27, um, but uh, he's also probably undervalued by most people. Yeah, just useful enough in a lot of leagues to use at least more than half the time. You can use him for most of his home starts despite those splits. I would expect those to kind of level out over time, but you could pick your spots with him on the road and, and he'll end up being better than some of the other options you're looking at uh, at the back of your lineup each and every week. That is going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. Got a question for a future episode? Send those our way. Ratesandbarrels at gmail.com is the best way to get those in. On Twitter, Eno's at Enoceris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. No breaking news just now, which means as I hit the stop button on this episode, <laughs> someone's getting more traded. news. Yeah, that's, that's usually how it works. It's it's that time of year. So what do you expect? But uh, $2 a month gets you in the door at theathletic.com slash ratesandbarrels. Gets you all the trade deadline coverage, rest of season fantasy baseball coverage, fantasy football Women's World Cup, everything you want, all for one low price. We are back with you on Tuesday. Thanks for listening.